This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Even though Christmas Day has come and gone, it is still the holiday season, a season of giving, which means many of us are feeling more generous than at other times of the year. But where do we start when it comes to holiday tipping? Who should we tip and how much should we give? Two days before Christmas, lifestyle expert Carrie Macbeth and etiquette expert Lisa Orr joined Libby Snymer to discuss. So there isn't a have-to list. Uh, There are some should consider. So the people that I think about for regular tipping are the people who are in your life on a regular basis. So it depends on who you have. So if you have a dog, you might have a dog walker. If you have children, you might have a babysitter. If you have someone who looks after your landscaping or your house, there might be all these people in your life. So those type of people or hairstylists, personal care sort of professionals, those people also end up typically on the list. Uh, and and so those are a group that I consider in my kind of holiday tipping. And, and the question often comes up is exact dollar amounts. And it varies surprisingly region to region. Um, but what I find is that um, in that group, typically it's the cost of one visit. Uh, but it, it a, there's a huge range. And I'll say this and there'll be someone in, in sort of Nova Scotia who says that's not at all what it is. So it really depends on where you are. Uh, but that's a ballpark number. OK, so we're in Toronto, that's the biggest city in Canada. And you're saying the cost of one visit. Let's bring in Carrie. She's on the left coast. That's well, that's, I guess, the second biggest city. So uh, what's what's the deal in Vancouver, Carrie? Well, first of all, Libby, um, what I want to really um, express is is that this is about holiday spanking. The, the word tip comes out, but it's really important to understand that this is the season for thanking and with individuals who provide services, usually it is a monetary amount um, to thank somebody. With professionals, you should never thank a professional with a gratuity. So I, I really want people to understand that this is about thanking and it's also about understanding what your budget is. Um, yes, it can certainly vary from, from city to city, but it also varies on the individual's budget and what they can actually afford because one should not feel obligated during the holidays to express their thanks through a gratuity if their budget is actually not allowing that. So that's, that's a big thing. I do uh, agree, um, that it is definitely, it does maneuver from city to city if if for all those people who are living in vancouver our cost of living has certainly gone up um absolutely but whatever you tip is based on your personal budget i like to bulk buy so if there's if i know there's lots of like people who need to leave little things for so i'll do a tea or i'll do a candle and i buy a bunch of them and then that way if there's people who are they're not necessarily people i would give money to but i just want to say a little thank you I include, so I do the, them all the same. Every, there's no one who's going to say, oh, she gave me something different from you. Um, and then that way I've got them all set. As I said, I mentioned I'm a little behind the eight ball. So that lets me catch up a little bit at this point in the year. Okay. Uh, we're basically out of time. What would you like to leave us with, Carrie? 
Um, I want to go back to um, this is the the season of of, of giving and, and thanking. Um, please, everybody, really consider your own personal budget. And if it's not within your budget this year, um, there's there's nothing wrong with a beautiful um, homemade card or just taking the time to state that you appreciate them and that maybe this year is is a bit tight but look forward to next year but please don't put yourself in in into any personal debt just because you feel that you need to to tip certain people during the holidays okay and lisa I agreed with Carrie, and uh, I think the reality is is just taking time to recognize people. Every it, it really makes a big difference after a long year like this, and I think taking the time to recognize those people in our life who make it special uh, is really what it's all about. Libby Snymer in conversation with lifestyle expert Carrie McBeth and etiquette expert Lisa Orr. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. It's a startling statistic. As of this past Monday, Toronto had seen a total of 40 pedestrian deaths. Number 39 and 40 were two young men, both 19, struck and killed by a vehicle traveling at a high rate of speed on progress at Markham in Scarborough. The teenagers were walking on the sidewalk when the driver lost control of the vehicle and hit them. He has been charged with a number of offenses, all having to do with drinking and driving. A third 19-year-old male was also hit and was taken to hospital in serious condition. This happened on a day when there were two other pedestrian collisions in Toronto, including at Queen and Dunn, where a 70-year-old man riding a scooter was hit by a streetcar. Pedestrian safety is an ongoing conversation when Libby Snymer's Zoomer Squad joins her to discuss issues affecting older Canadians. That's where the conversation began this past Monday with David Kravit, VP of Zoomer Media, and Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. What I'm really worried about is that this is the third or fourth week out of maybe in a row, but certainly in the last half dozen, we've talked about this. And it doesn't seem to be um, anything that any of the remedies uh, can fix in the short run. And what I'm very worried about is that gradually, imperceptibly, it becomes the new normal. And we say, okay, we've thrown a million bucks at it, you know, through an enforcement unit. And it's a big city and there's a million drivers running around and um, somebody's eventually going to, you know, like the frog in the boiling water. This is just going to become the new normal. And it's going to be harder and harder to not accept it. And that that's a very dangerous place to go, but it seems like what we're trying isn't working. But the thing about enforcement is, like, at the moment, the status quo is people are getting away with criminal behavior because <clears throat> whether they're speeding or they're turning right where they ought not to be, there aren't enough police officers on the streets to catch it, and so they're getting away with it, and they do it again. And so I think at a minimum, we need to start with enforcement. We need to make sure that there are more people on the streets catching this kind of behavior so that it doesn't happen in the first place. Now, in the case of the incident that occurred over the weekend, um, with the drunk driver, I mean, I I saw quite a few, um, uh, what are they called? The roadside detection units. Okay, the ride the program. The ride program. I saw quite a few of them out, certainly where I live. Um, and I know that they're fairly expensive to operate, um, but particularly around the holiday season, I mean, I think they need to be out in, in full force. David, I'm wondering, do you think that 
there is a marked difference in the way they treat death by gunfire and death by car. And and are they throwing more resources, even though the number of people that are killed is the same? Well, I think it's true. I think that that's kind of what I was saying, that if the pedestrian thing becomes sort of, well, you know, with the X million people in the city, this is kind of a threshold that we're trying our best. We'll throw the resources at it. Guns are, are, are inherently, uh, I think, a scarier topic to most people. I mean, the number of people that drive a car who have been in a fender bender, maybe not a fatality, but see cars all the time, whereas I've never seen anybody, uh, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anybody shoot a gun, let alone shot by a gun. So it, 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 it tends to get the, the fear factor up a lot more. Um, and so gradually the traffic becomes, you know, we'll put some cameras here. I'm not minimizing it. They're, they're, they, they've got to do more, and they're going to try to do more. But I think you're quite right. I think it is treated differently. Um, and in pedestrian deaths might be this kind of insidious, creeping uh, condition that we gradually uh, sort of accept as part of uh, living in a big city. And that's what I'm very afraid of. I don't want to accept it, but I can I can see it coming. I can see people just getting more numbed out by it. And, you know, I'll do my best. I'll try to be careful. And um, I don't like it. I share uh, Marissa's feelings of, you know, heartfelt sympathy with the families. It's terrible. Let's discuss who are the winners and the losers of the year. Let's start with Marissa. Oh, all right. Well, I have. Let's start with the winner, maybe. Okay. My winner for this year is Deb Schulte. She's, of course, the new seniors minister. Congratulations to her. She's a cancer survivor, and she has an incredible resume. And uh, I can say that CARP is seriously looking forward to working with her. We've already had a number of discussions, and we are certainly aligned on a number of issues. So she would be my winner this year. <coughs> my loser is Andrew Shear. Now, some might call him a winner. Because he... Oh, I don't think anybody I know would call him a winner. (laughs) Well, he reduced the... So for those big C conservatives out there, he was able to reduce... Well, maybe it might not have been through his own doing, but he reduced the liberal government to a minority. So some might view that as a win. However, he was forced to step down because of inappropriately using funds where he ought not to have been using for his children's private school education. And uh, for that reason, he is my loser of the year. Okay. Well, I, I, uh, I would argue he's my loser of the year too, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, you stole mine, Marissa, but, <laughs> but I would cite a bunch of other reasons. I, th- I think that he's basically gone because his party realized that he's not electable as prime minister period. Um, but uh, let's move along to David, your winners. Well, I, yeah, just to, to piggyback on Cher, it's too, I didn't pick him only because uh, it, it's too obvious. He, he, he's not electable as a PM, but also he blew an electable election. It's not yeah. like he was coming on strong and we really liked the campaign he fought and he's sure to win next time. Um, he was handed a lot of opportunities that he didn't um, that he didn't uh, take advantage of. Um, that said, I would flip that around. My loser of the year is an apparent winner, which is uh, Justin Trudeau, because I think that although he won the election, uh, the damage to his uh, persona, let's say, was uh, irreversible. Now, he may turn out to be the winner next year, because according to what I'm reading, 
he's trying to pivot to a more business-like, less less sort of talkative and showy uh, demeanor, and we'll see how that plays. But he really, uh, his brand was tarnished um, in a way that uh, I don't think is easy to come back from. So he's going to have to rebrand, and we'll see what you know, see how that uh, how that works. So he he would be my loser of the year. My winner may be a little surprising. Also, I think um, I'm going to go with uh, Doug Ford because I think that he did the reverse. He had a terrible position early on in his uh, administration, and he seems to have come on in a bit more of a reasoned, mature way. And he's even, you know, trying to work with Trudeau and trying to work, trying to be a bit of a statesman among the premiers. We'll see whether he can pull it off. Um, there's certainly a lot of critics, but I think that he has uh, repaired a lot of damage, and Trudeau, uh, although he won an election, sustained a lot of damage. So maybe I'm a little bit uh, contrarian on both of those. Before we go very quickly, looking ahead to next year, um, one big hope for next year from each of you. Oh, well, the biggest hope of all, of course, would be the elimination of hallway medicine, as was promised by our um, Ontario government and other provinces uh, across the other governments, um, provincial governments across the country. So we'll see. David? And piggybacking onto that in a wider sense, uh, my biggest hope is that next year's the year that Canadians finally make health care the number one issue and put the fear of God into the politicians. That was Libby Snymer in conversation with David Kravitz, VP of Zoomer Media, and Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back's crack strategy panel met for the final time of 2019 and discussed a topic that will likely come up regularly in 2020. Who will be the next leader of the federal Conservative Party? Joining Libby Snymer a week ago Tuesday, Charles Byrd, managing principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner of Fleischmann Hillard High Road. The discussion began with a focus on outgoing conservative leader Andrew Scheer and what went wrong. Andrew had high expectations, you know, four years ago, plus when, when Justin Trudeau became prime minister, there was not a conservative who didn't think that, oh my God, he's going to be in there for two terms uh, in some ways because of the, the Trudeau mania and the fact that he had so much, you know, popularity and, and not only here, but internationally. So there was a lot of folks who thought, you know, this, this is going to be at least a two-term uh, prime minister. And when we went to our leadership contest two years after that, when we picked Andrew Scheer, even then, there was some thinking there might be at least a two-election, uh, uh, you know, strategy to get our, our leader as, as prime minister. But it wasn't until after that when S.C. Lavalin started happening, his international foibles started taking, taking you know, center stage, where people started believing, wait a second, this might be a time for us to win this election this time around in, 20, in the election that just happened. Um, so the expectations started getting higher. And then during the campaign, expectations got even higher with respect to some of the scandals that we saw with, with blackface and, and other issues. And, and the party itself, I think, even talked about themselves winning more seats. And then when it didn't happen, 
the expectation bar was so high that that the failure was was too good and too great, and a lot of folks just felt that we lost our opportunity. Hence, the fact that people left um, feeling that that Andrew Shear was uh, was not the right leader to take us into the next election. And and now here we are. He, he's he stepped down and he's resigning, uh, and we've got a leadership contest that's underway. And of course, the, the two names that I keep hearing all the time, and my phone's never been st- hasn't stopped since this thing, uh, is Ronna Ambrose and, and Peter McKay, the two, but also Aaron O'Toole, who I like yeah. and is a friend of mine, and I've known him for some time is somebody to uh, to consider quite seriously as well. The Conservatives did increase their vote count. And Karen, you were saying mm-hmm. they, they might get into a whole heap of trouble if they dump him. But I guess uh, the consensus he that he couldn't win in Ontario and certainly not in Quebec and partly his social conservatism that he was so kind of uh, wishy-washy, mm-hmm. not really coming out about. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, of course, as a leader, he's got to bear responsibility for the outcome of the election. I think that's fair to say. Um, it, you know, we've talked about this in the panel. It's hard when you're running for a job that you've never had before in full public view. And when you make mistakes, there's no, there's very little room to recover and continue to move on. So, um, you know, I, I think that there was that moment where the conservatives saw a victory and then it slipped away from them. And of course, there's resentment towards that. And I think, Andrew Scheer was in a position where he had to resign because, um, you know, the, 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 the school issue was raising its head. I'm sure like they were going to explore every parking ticket he ever had. And, you know, it was just going to be miserable for him to stay in that role. So he, he decided to resign so that the party could move on. But now it's the party's embroiled itself in a new <laughs> scandal. And so it's just um, I, I still question the wisdom of whether or not this was the right time to be making that change. Charles, was it people are saying uh, he was too socially conservative? Uh, he, he, you know, didn't his stand on LGBTQ was the factor. And then what, what about this whole school funding thing? I'm, I have to say that I, I fail to understand that. But. Well, the, the timing of it was, was most unusual. And it appears that Mr. Shear's resignation came in the immediate aftermath of that story breaking among senior conservatives. Um, there's a lot about this story that's really, really unusual. Let me let me just say, I as I've said on your program, Libby, on a number of occasions, prophecy is a lousy way to make a living. But I did say that Andrew Shearer was going down like a submarine about three weeks ago. <laughs> you and, did, you did. Um, and but you know, I hope this isn't too conspiratorial, but it, it's hard not to think that the the fine hand of Stephen Harper isn't involved in a lot of this, given the number of senior Harper people who were first out of the gate to say that Shear had to go and that he had to go before April. Uh, Mr. Harper's chair of the, the PC Canada Fund, which is their major fundraising arm, um, which ultimately was responsible for the leak of the fact that some of Andrew Shear's children's education was being subsidized. Um, and part of me wonders if, if we might actually see Stephen Harper reemerge as a potential leader of the Conservative Party really? of Canada, as untenable uh, as that seems. Uh, if that doesn't happen, um, I will say, and again, prophecy, lousy <laughs> way to make a living, the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada will be Pierre Poilievre. Um, and I say that because um, for, for two reasons. One, um, the two tasks of any leadership candidate going into this race will be who hates Justin Trudeau the most and who can, <laughs> and who can act most like Stephen Harper. And... Um, 
Uh, and who old, speaks good old, French? And old Pete has both of those down, not to mention the fact that he's fluently bilingual. My my good friend Charles just stick while he was ahead on prophecy. He did he did get he did get the he did get the, uh, he did get the um the one right about the leader leaving before the convention. But no, I don't, I don't think um, uh, Stephen Harper has got anything to do with this, quite frankly. He, Stephen Harper actually quite liked Andrew Scheer. Um, and, uh, and Andrew Scheer you know, always said that he was the smiley, smiley face of Stephen Harper. Okay, but, but the published reports, and they're not attributed, say that it was Stephen Harper who had a fit about Andrew Scheer getting the subsidies for his kids' education. Living, and the quest- living. And the question that I have, what is the difference between getting the subsidy for your kid's education or getting the subsidy for your clothing allowance, your speaking lessons or whatever else they get subsidized for that? And, and all of the above that when, when some, um, you know, a person who is not wealthy in some little town gives 25 bucks, I don't think they want their money to go to either of those things. Well, let me just address that yeah. as well. But but on the issue of Stephen Harper, I think that, you know, when it came to the leadership, he was, I think he was very fine with, with Andrew Scheer. I'm sure he, like every every other conservative, was a disappointed the fact that we didn't win, without a doubt. But 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't read anything into into people like Corey and others who are... Who are Corey Tonight. Corey Tonight and others who uh, were very publicly speaking against the leader and trying to get him to resign early on, uh, even though they all worked for Stephen Harper. A lot of them do. And a lot of folks actually went through Stephen Harper's office. After 10 years, you can imagine there's a lot of staffing that that he did and, and changed and turnover. But I wouldn't read the fact that they were once former Stephen Harper staffers. Some of them are current Doug Ford uh, staffers or, or advisors as well. So I wouldn't say that Doug Ford was, was into this as well. But, but nonetheless, I think that the issue with, with the private school, um, every party engages in topping up their leader's, uh, you know, salary. In yeah. case, especially when they're in opposition, when the salary isn't as much as it is when you become prime minister. Um, you know, it, 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 the, the common case with respect to Jagmeet Singh, he didn't have a seat for two years or two or three years of his first term, and the party basically gave him a salary to, to keep him going. So it's not unusual for, for the fund to be able to say, we're going to give you a top end to your... To your um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the difference is whether or not the fund knew that of the whatever that amount is given to the leader was going to go to the leader for the leader to decide where he wanted to go, whether it was a, tr- a clothing allowance, whether it was a top up to rental, whatever, because renting in Ottawa is far more expensive than it was in Saskatchewan, uh, or whether or not it was a top off to, to his private school, which apparently it was. There, there was a differential, according to the executive director of the party, said that, look, the, 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 he was in, he was, kids were in private school in Saskatchewan, and to move them to Ottawa was a higher cost, so we, yeah. we topped it up from that perspective. That's the, the debate that the fund didn't know about that, and that's why they're upset. I, I still don't get what the difference is. Well, and, and I think that the, the issue for the party remains, what do they stand for? And this notion that Andrew Scheer alone was responsible for the social conservative wing of the party, I think um, underrepresents how strong the social conservative part of the party is. And so... Um, to say that, you know, it, because Andrew Scheer didn't walk in a parade, that's why they lost. Andrew Scheer was probably representing a large wing of the party in so doing. So I, I think the party has to do some soul searching. And they're talking about Rona Ambrose and Peter McKay because they seem to be nice, moderate people that could lead the party. But, but they both left politics for reasons that were that they're, they've moved on to new lives. And so um, and, and again, back to this this notion that there's a Jesus out there that's going to save the party. It just doesn't happen. So the party has to do some work between now and the next leadership convention to understand what does it stand for, because that that's going to drive, I think, who is successfully going to take over the helm. Our Tuesday strategy panel, Karen Stintz, 
Charles Bird and John Capobianco in their final conversation of 2019 with Libby Snymer. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Richard in Wheatley phoned to say who he thinks should be the next federal conservative leader. I was wondering why no one has brought up John Bayard's name. He has the right temperament to run the country. Plus, he knows the numbers. We need someone that's, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe a little more like Trump. He's decisive. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from John in Peterborough who phoned on the day after U.S. President Donald Trump was impeached by the House and was incensed by something Trump said the night before. Anyone that had any respect for Donald Trump must have lost it last night at his Michigan rally when he talked about the late member Dingell and said if he was looking up at him, meaning from hell. A man that was respected by everyone both sides, and he was having a go at his wife, who had taken his place. I, had, I cannot find anything. I tried to find something good in most people. I cannot find anything good in Donald Trump. I'm very sorry. And if you watch that show, you will see, well, on some stations, where you hear the ooing and awing of his own people that did not agree with him. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.